the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Tiffany McTaggart. Following on from the Borders Women in Agriculture meeting on business planning, I am delighted to be joined by Leslie Mitchell from Whitrigs, who has been through business plans with her family, firstly purchasing a second farm in 1999 and then more recently adding a deer enterprise onto the farm. Hello, Leslie. Hello. Uh, would you like to start by introducing yourself? Yes. I'm Leslie Mitchell and I farm in partnership with my husband and son at Whitrigs Farm near Denham in the Scottish Borders. I also work for Quality Meat Scotland as a quality assurance specialist in their brands integrity team. Oh, very good, that'll keep you very busy. Um, can you tell us a bit about the farm and the enterprises? Yeah, Whitrigs and Denham Hill Farm, they're 443 hectares, mixed beef, deer and arable farm. We have 150 suckler cows, 300 red deer hinds and we grow approximately 40 hectares of cereals. The cows are Aberdeen Angus and Beef Shorthorn Crosses. They're closed herd and only bulls are purchased. We breed our own replacements and the remaining progeny are sold as stores either at 12 or 16 months of age. The red deer is a relatively new enterprise which I'll discuss in more detail later but we currently have 300 hinds. Females are kept for breeding and the males go to Dovecote Park in Yorkshire for Waitrose and Marks and Spencers. We grow winter oats for milling and are in currently in year one of organic conversion for the whole farm. Very good. Um, so you've had two big business plans which you've had to make. So you purchased Denham Hill in 1999 and then you recently added your deer enterprise onto the farm. Um, so let's start with you purchasing Denham Hill. So what was your farming system like in 1999? And tell us about the inspiration behind you and Robert purchasing Denham Hill. I married Robert in 1991. And by 1999, we had two sons. Whitrigs was 200 hectares, which is 85 cows, 450 ewes, and we grew approximately 30 hectares of cereals for stock feed, with any excess being sold. The farm was owned outright, but it was becoming harder to be profitable with the land and stock that we had. And with having two boys, we began to plan for their future. I began to look for potential expansion opportunities and knew that some neighbouring farms had no successors and they may come up for sale at some point in the future. So I started to think about the possibility of purchasing a unit and how we could future-proof our business. I spoke with our accountant and bank manager at our annual meetings regarding a hypothetical farm purchase, what plans and financial forecast would be required if any land or farm became available. So you sounded like you're very forward thinking even back then, um, before you even had the opportunity already making a plan. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit more how you went about developing your plan and researching the viability of the purchase when Denham Hill came up for sale? Yes. Um, the, in June 1999, the, the week of the Highland Show, there was an advert in the Scottish Farmer for our neighbouring farm. That was the first that we knew that it was coming up for sale. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was going to double the size of our farm. It was 210 hectares with 500 ewes and 80 cows. The main advantage was that it marched Whitrigs 
30% of the farm boundary marks. Robert and I saw the advert and we thought we have to try for this. I thought about my son's futures since they were born. Succession planning was something that was very important to me. So when we saw this come up for sale, we visited our accountant, who was very supportive. I got in touch with the bank to see that we were considering buying the farm. They were supportive too, but as they would be assisting us financially, they required some hard facts and figures. I'd researched the potential to increase the sheep and cattle enterprises for some time. It was the what ifs. Would there be a market for the increase in stock? Would we be able to buy the quotas which would be required at the time? Would this be worth the investment and due to potential changes in the farming support system coming in the near future? Would we be able to support source enough replacements? Now, I, I always like a plan B. C and D are always good too. As the farm included the buildings, farmhouse and three cottages, I researched the possibility of selling a cottage or two with some land to help us out financially or the rental income from residential properties could possibly help as well. We wouldn't be living at the new farm at the time, but it was something that we'd possibly do in the future, which we actually are. Um, you then needed to make a business plan. How did you do this and what figures did you need to supply? After being in touch with the bank, um, they had given me, they kindly given me the details of what would require. So this includes a cash flow projection for the first five years. Now, I'd been doing the farm accounts since taking them over from Robert's mother when I got married. So I knew our accounts in detail and what the figures meant. I spoke with our accountant who helped me put together the business plan. And we had the farm valued independently and cash flow projections showed that the investment was a viable option. I worked with our accountant to finalise the business plan details. This was what we were going to do with the land and stock going forward, what markets we would have, what income we would get, and the likelihood of how long it would take to pay back the investment that we made. This took some time to put together, but as I've been thinking about it for a while, it was a case of putting our projections onto paper and seeing if they really were viable options. As I said, the bank required a five-year cash flow projection. I'd been providing them with annual accounts for a few years, which meant that they were aware of our trading situation. The Whitrix was owned wholly and had been purchased in the 1950s. So we did not really have a credit history with the bank, which meant they required more information for the not insignificant investment that we were planning. They could, however, see that we had very rarely required an overdraft and had never defaulted on anything. So that was positive from their point of view. That sounds good, uh, Leslie. You're definitely, um, or at least on the ball with having your figures ready for the bank um, and actually understanding your accounts, which would have made it much easier for you. I, I think having, uh, yes, I think having the figures, yes. I, I think having the figures to hand is, is, is uh, very, very, very important. Yes, yes, definitely. Will make it much easier when they start questioning you on it as well. Yes. So, Leslie, how did you and Robert cope with this investment? Um, once we had the figures and the plan finalised, I spoke with Robert about the potential life-changing investment that we were about, hopefully, about to make if we were successful. And people that know me will know that I'm not one of life's natural risk takers. Some people say that's an understatement. But given the strength of the plan and the future that I could see for my family, I said to Robert that if he really wanted to go for this, I'd be right behind him. We knew that it'd be hard 
going to be a lot of responsibility for a young couple with a young family. But I knew in my heart that it was I wanted us to try for it. At the time, I was a full-time mum who helped on the farm, which I loved, and my sons were showing a lot of interest in the farm. We thought that there was never a perfect time for this investment, but I knew that we could do this, and without putting pressure on our children, that they would have to farm. We were six and four at the time when Denham Hill came up for sale. Very good. Um, so, yeah, so it shows that if you really want something, you can plan it and make it happen. Because um, you are right in saying that there is no perfect time for doing anything. You know, so many people are very quick to delay and delay because they don't think it's a perfect time. Um, but I think you very much showed that if you want to do it, you can make it happen. When you went and approached the bank with all the information, were they quite happy to agree to the loan? Um, when, I, when Robert and I went to the bank and um, I provided them with the information that they required and they agreed to a loan for the amount that we had asked for, but with Whitrigs and Denham Hill both as security. I declined their offer as if things did not go to plan, I did not look, want to lose Whitrigs who had been in the family for a long time. Up until that point, I did not know that I had what would now be called good negotiating skills, but I said that we would not give Whitrigs as security and I would like a lower interest rate and I especially was keen to have year one payment holiday. After discussions with the bank, they agreed to the terms and we were given the, the loan requirement that we were looking for, which was excellent and also very daunting. But it was start, things have moved on. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, you must have had good negotiating skills with them. So after you bought the land, did you achieve the financial performance which you outlined in your business plan or did you find that there was hurdles along the way? Um, it was, I wouldn't really say there was hurdles when we were successful in our bid for the farm, um, but there were several challenges. We bought the farm lock, stock and barrel, we took, took on all the sheep and cattle on the entry. The sheep were the same breed as ours, which was a Scotch half-bred to Suffolk to produce a breed of new lamb at the time. So the challenge there was to cope with the logistics of working with increasing numbers, especially at lambing time. The cattle herd was autumn calving and we were spring, which meant having two calvings. It was not ideal due to the other work commitments on the farm at that time. So we did that for a couple of years and then moved it to a spring calving for ease of management. We took over the farm in 1999 and we were just finding our feet when foot and mouth came along in 2001. So we never had the disease in our flock. It was close by and we had movement restrictions for most of the year. This, as you can imagine, resulted in extra work and expense and severely reduced income when we did come to sell our stock. So, yeah, very tough time when you when you started off then having foot and mouth. So how did you manage to turn it around? At this, this coming so early in expansion, not to plan back, but we battened down and reassessed our forecast and spoke with the bank at an early stage in case we needed them. I think communication is very important. I did lose some sleep in the early years, especially during foot and mouth, but we never wondered if we'd done the right thing. We saw it as a long-term investment, and once we were established in the new business, we made the changes and extra investments as we went along, adding a silage pit to the farm. Our accountant at the time said that cash flow projections were a best guess and could vary quite a bit. So when preparing them, I had wanted to manage our expectations and be re realistic. We had on the side of caution for our predictions. Once the economies of scale began to show, we started to get income from the extra lambs and cattle. 
returned more than our expectations, which was a huge relief. But the reward for a lot of hard work in those early years. Very good. It sounds like it's been a very big success. And I think it shows that careful planning and I think, as you said, um, being very realistic in your projections probably helped because it was satisfying when you go and achieve better than them as well. That's right. It was. It. And people that know me will know that I've, uh, you know, I'm belt and braces, but uh, it is very important to be prepared and to keep communication lines in place as well. Yeah, definitely. So more recently, you and your family added a deer enterprise to your farm. Could you tell us a bit more about how deer farming came about? Yes. Due to better grazing management on the farm, we had additional grazing land that we wanted to utilise. So after looking into our current enterprises, I felt we had some options that we could explore. One, we could increase the cattle numbers, but the shed space for wintering stock was a limiting factor. We could increase the sheep numbers. We had a thousand ewes at the time, but that was really the maximum that we could cope with or that we really wanted to work with. We could increase the arable free, we could increase the arable area. Our land was quite heavy and the arable area was a maximum that we felt that we could cope with along with other enterprises. So option four was to add a new enterprise. Our son Stuart, who farms with us, was interested in looking into deer farming, so we thought we would look into that at the time. Very good. It's nice that your son got involved um, with making a plan. And um, Were you a uh, monitor farm for QMS at the time as well? Yes, yes. At the time, we were QMS monitor farmers for the Scottish border. And as such, we'd access to a wide range of speakers who could assist us with our research. We wanted to make use of our skill set, utilise land and increase our income without adding to our workload weren't expecting much really. Very sensible. Um, so how did you go about looking at the idea of uh, deer farming and researching it further? Stuart was um, very keen to, to look further into the, the deer farming and as such he took a, an introduction to deer management training course with the British Deer Farms and Parks Association and that was initially to see if he still thought it was a good idea and just if he could actually um, work with the deer and if, if it was looking as if it would be a an ongoing process for us. It came back buzzing, so we agreed to look into it further. And as Stuart and Robert would be doing the practical management of the animals, they attended training courses and I carried out the financial research. We all visited many, many deer farms and spoke to as many deer farmers as we could. Monitor farm facilitators helped with this too. Robert and I had travelled to New Zealand in 2017, 2014, and we visited deer farms, and although it wasn't in our mind at the time to go into this sector, we could relate back to what the farmers had told us and their systems, and that gave us contacts too. Stuart and his wife Kate went to New Zealand for a month, and they visited 15 deer farms and found out a lot about the sector in a short space of time. We researched the markets for the finished stock. Females are in demand for breeding, and Dovecote Park in Yorkshire had recently added a deer line capable of killing 20,000 deer a year. So they had capacity and that gave us the confidence that we'd be able to have a market for our stock. Very good. So you've done a lot of research and a lot of travelling by the sounds of it. Um, but clearly, as you're finding, research is definitely key for adding new elements to your farming business. 
That's right, yes. That's right. And did you get any professional assistance in doing a scoping study or anything to try and identify if you should be adding deer to your farm? Yes, it soon became apparent that we're going to take it forward. We need some professional help. So we commissioned a scoping study, which was an in-depth look at the resources that we had, the facilities that we would need, the amount of land that would be required. So we spent for the initial numbers proposed and increasing over time. This came back as a very positive report and it gave us confidence to move forward. It's an in-depth report and it was very helpful. Good. So I'm guessing that's something you would recommend other people to do before they undertake yes, something it, new. Yes. Once you realise that it's, it's maybe more than, than you can do yourself, than professional help, it, it's worth it to wait and go, to be honest. It's, for what you spend on it, it, it's more than paid for itself. So I would recommend that, yes. Very good. So how did adding deer into the mix impact on the other enterprises on your farm? When we were looking to have an extra enterprise, it was very important to me what the impact on the new enterprise would be on the other on the current enterprises that we had. So I worked with an accountant regarding our current gross margins and how they could be affected by adding a deer enterprise. The business plan was for our own use and to give us a realistic overview of what this potential could be, we really it really needed to work for us. So we decided that the business was in a good position, but due to uncertainties surrounding support payments and Brexit we would request a small loan from the bank. So using the scoping study, that ticked a lot of boxes for the business and the bank. And it gave us the confidence to move forward. The impact on this new enterprise, on our current enterprises, was important to me. So I worked with our accountant regarding our current gross margins and how they could be affected by a deer enterprise being added. We had at the time a thousand ewes. But because they were underperforming and we had some issues with them um, that, that couldn't be overcome, we um, decided we were going to reduce the sheep numbers, but in fact that dispersed the flock. And since we have added the deer enterprise, we've added to the cattle numbers and slightly to the arable land. And this balances up. We had extra land with not having the sheep, so we have taken on more deer than we had originally thought. We've added slightly to the arable enterprise to balance up the land that was freed up. So it sounds like, yeah, it's all a big balancing act then. It is. And as the deer numbers grow, as the deer numbers grow, then the, the arable land might come down. But it's, uh, it'll be a balancing act. It'll be reassessed as we're going along. Yeah. Is that what your ultimate plan is, to go and enlarge the deer herd further? Yes, we're currently at 300 hinds and we're looking to go to 500 and then we'll reassess fully after that for, for the for the extra investment that would be required to, to increase the numbers further. Yeah, that sound, sounds good. You do sound very good at reassessing a situation and continuously considering what's, what's affordable and what's viable for the business. So what documents did you have to provide um, to the bank to show your accountability of the numbers? Um, because it probably was slightly easier for you this time round as you'd recently had a large loan. Yes, I would say it was easier this time around because we had a good um, history of, um, well, better financial history, with better credit rating with them back because we had had a loan and we had paid it back. Um, the, the scoping study, as I mentioned, it ticked a lot of boxes. Um, the, the bank uh, had had a good, it was in depth for the for the new enterprise, and also with the business plan from our accountant, 
that gave information how the other enterprises would be affected the impact on them. So that was really the two pieces, the two key pieces of information that the bank was looking for. And um, we'd initially thought that we'd start with a hundred times, but um, we had slightly more than that, so that the affordability of the stock it it was not insignificant. But as beer can be for fourteen years, they were viewed as a good investment. So that was what we had asked the bank for. It was for capital, for for breeding stock, and uh, they were because we had had a good credit history and we were more of a um, more of a conversation with them and it was uh, it was it was easier than it was when we went for the farm yeah that makes it be less stressful for you as well yeah. <laughs> it, was. it was um yeah so when you go to the bank they also consider about what the strengths of the people are that they're talking to and that the team's strong to run the business and um, how do you think that helped you it helped us a great deal. We had a good relationship with our bank manager. We had one that had been in place for a number of years and I had regularly kept in touch with them, not just at an annual review, but just met them at shows and spoke to them and just, just general conversation as to how the farm was doing, the different things that were affecting farming, weather, um, Brexit, different things that were coming along. So we had a good relationship with them. Um, the fact that they knew me by this time and they knew that I was Belton Braces and gave a lot of information. And if they asked me for something, I gave them it fairly quickly and, and in depth. So I think having a strong relationship with them, but also being a strong team. The team Mitchell, my husband, my son, and my daughter-in-law, we farm together, but we really are, it, it makes you strong and we're a strong and progressive farming family. And I think the bank really um, took that on board and uh, it was quite, it was much more straightforward process to get a, a loan this time. It wasn't such a large loan, obviously, but it was a much more straightforward process this time. Yeah, that's good. So have a good relationship with your with the bank is definitely yeah, sounds like keeping communication useful. going at, at all times is important as well. Yeah. yeah, very good. So aside from these two occasions when you did have to have a really strong business plan, uh, do you do regular business plans or do you just do them when you want to make a change to the farming system? How do you do it? Well, I'm constantly valuing our enterprises and how they're work, how they're working and the impact that they have on each other. Uh, my daughter-in-law is now um, helping me with the farm accounts, and she's uh, getting her head around doing these mini business plan every time we think to introduce a change. But really knowing the business that you have currently and how it's performing, and any information, any live weight gains, any um, prices when they're sold, weights when they're sold, etc. All that information is just so useful. So we're just it's keeping keeping records of what we're doing is uh, very very important. And when, whenever we think to do a a larger change, we, we we were selling finished stock and now we're selling store cattle. So we looked into that. Did a sort of mini business plan with that, how it was going to affect the grazing, what the prices would be, what the cost would be for them being on the farm for longer, etc. So. Every time I go to change anything, I do a mini business plan and I think it helps me get my head around it. And, you know, the, the, the other members in our team, Mitchell, they do the same. They, they have always got to sell me things. They've got to give me a business, business plan. They've got to have thought about it when they want to make any changes. So it, it works well for us. It's, it sounds a very sensible thing to do. So when you're building your business plans or mini business plans, what do you think are the most important things to consider? 
I think that there is preparation. If you know what your current business plan is, what your current business is doing, what you want to be doing, and how you're going to get there. And I think you should communicate with as many people as you can. If somebody's got the same enterprise that you're looking to go into, speak to people about it. I find that they're very happy to discuss things with you. don't need to know facts and figures, but just how things work, what size, or how, what amount of land it takes, the, the real, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Find out as much as you can. I think that talk to people who've invested in their business, not necessarily in the same enterprise that you're looking at, just someone that's invested in their business, something that's added a new enterprise and how it's affected them. And I think it's important to speak to your accountant and the bank if required, and especially to find out if there'll be a market for any product that you'll be producing. I think you should be realistic, but be ambitious, but have your feet on the ground as well. Very good. You certainly sound like you've been ambitious. <laughs> yes. um, so how have you changed your business plans as you've gained more experience? I think really because I regularly analyse our enterprises and do many plans. And quite often, I'm doing it all the time. It's just we know how the business is doing at the moment and having that information is vital if you're thinking about changing anything. But I have become more experienced with doing them. I've got a lot of information. I know what's important, pieces of information that are required. And anything that, that's, that you think is important and it turns out not to be, then it can be added as a sideline rather than as being the main part. So it, it's really more experience of doing them. If you do them regularly, and just thinking constantly, what if this or what about that? And just, it, you know, it's a case of really expect the unexpected. So you have to put some things in that, you know, worst case scenario, what if everything happened? Would it be still a viable option? But just, just more experience doing them just more comfortable with them. I'm more comfortable speaking to our accountant for say, you know, and he's used to me saying to him on a regular basis, thinking about this, is this going to tie in? Is it something that's going to be um, helpful to us? Yep, that's good advice, Leslie. So if you decide to approach the bank again for more money, is there anything you would do differently? To be honest, not really. Um, when we first looked to be um, purchasing Denham Hill, I was, I was thorough. I like to be thorough. And to be honest, I have to sleep at night. I'm someone that worries about things. So if I have it in place, then it makes it a lot easier for me as well. I think that preparation is the key, but also having options if things don't go quite to plan. So I think, to be honest, it's just be prepared, but, but be realistic and speak to people. So I, I don't think I would do anything particularly differently, no. Yeah, you do. You do sound like you are a very prepared, organised person who does everything thoroughly and really well, and not just going in with half a thought. <laughs> um, so, considering your past experiences, what advice would you give to someone putting together their first business plan or going to the bank for the first time? I would say to them that you would need to know what you want to achieve. You would do lots of research, and don't be afraid to speak to people and ask for advice. But if you, you need to know where you are, where you want to be, and how you hope to get there. And if anybody, if you need anybody to help you to get there, you need to, you need to find these people. You need to give them information and you need to work with them. Yeah, that sounds like good advice. Thank you, Leslie, for taking the time to talk to me today. You certainly have a lot of experience and I think have been very organised, planning, knowing your business inside out and having good relationship with people such as your accountant is very important. 
Um, I'm sure you'll have given people a lot to think about today. You can find out more about the Farm Advisory Service and the work we're doing by visiting our website www.fas.scot or if you need advice call the helpline on 0300 323 0161.